This summer, I took my family backpacking with some friends. And at one point, we decided we needed to get past this cliff to this other saddle we were going to. We were on a day hike. And, and yet the only way past this cliff was to go down below it, which was fine, except there's a huge snowfield there. And it dropped off very steeply, the snowfield, for about 40 or 50 feet. And then it was just nothing but rocks below. And then it had melted a little bit away from the cliff. There was no way to go that way. So the only way we could figure to go, we couldn't transverse the snowfield. It was way too steep. The only way we could figure to go was to go right on top of that little pinnacle of snow and to work our way across. So my friend and his family went across, and then I'm leading Jeannie, and I've got her hand, but we're, we're going across this, this narrow patch of snow with drops off, drop-offs on both sides, this little ridge, when suddenly she slipped. And she went down the snowfield with her back, on her back, and I dropped and just barely caught her with three fingers, and she was swaying because it was so steep. And finally my friend Martin came over and we managed to pull her up. We still had a long ways to go. And it may surprise you, but Jeannie had a hard time trusting my leadership from there on. <laughs> I was a, not a good example of a leader. <laughs> leading somebody I was leading into danger. Not really for their good, not thinking about their best. We've all had bad leaders, haven't we? At work... Maybe in your family, we know what bad leadership is about. But what's good leadership? And who's, who is a leader anyway? Some of you may be sitting out there saying, well, I'm not really a leader anyway, so if we're going to talk about leadership, it doesn't apply to me. <laughs> well, uh, listen to the words of Dan Allender. A leader is anyone who has someone following. If anyone looks to you for wisdom, counsel, or direction, you're a leader. If there is one little girl who looks at you and says, Mommy, then you're a leader. Anyone who wrestles with an uncertain future on behalf of others, anyone who uses his or her gifts, talents, and skills to influence the direction of others for the greater good is a leader. In fact, no one is a mere follower. If you're a follower of God, for instance then you are called by God to lead. Every believer is called to help someone grow into maturity. And such is the core calling of a leader. So I hope you grasp that, that every one of you is a leader in some sphere. God's called you to be a leader. Even the children here are either leaders among their peers or called to be a leader among their peers. So the question is not who's a leader and they're the only ones that have to listen. We're all leaders. The question is, what are the characteristics of a good leader? What kind of leader am I? That's really the question. And how do I become a better leader? There's hundreds of books out there on leadership. I've read a few, <laughs> a number of them. But I think the best place to go to find out about leadership is God's Word, right? He created us all. So we're going to look at a passage in Exodus chapter 18 today where Moses gets a lesson in leadership. 
And as we look at what he learns about leadership, we can learn for ourselves some principles about how we lead to be challenged to lead in a more godly, a more biblical way. So we want to look this morning at the lesson that Moses learned and how he learned it. Then we're going to talk about nine principles of leadership that I see from this passage. God's godly leadership and what it looks like. And we'll talk a little bit at the end about how that's worked out here at Cole, how we try to live out these principles here at Cole Community Church. So let's begin in this passage. We're in Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Now, I want you to picture this for a moment. Now, you probably have never been in this situation, but the people had to wait in line all day. You know, I just picture sort of this, you know, take a ticket, and you come up and there's a little dispensing machine and it says, press A if you have a dispute about livestock. Press B if you have a dispute with a neighbor. Press C if it's a family problem. And uh, so you push, you know, you push it, you take the ticket and you realize there are thousands of people ahead of you. <laughs> and you are going to be here for a long, long time. Well, that's the way it was for Moses. He had two million people, roughly, all the Jews that were traveling, and they were around him, and he was the one designated by God. He was the only one who had a direct line to God, who had answers from God for their dispute. So no matter what their dispute was, they brought it to him. So he sat all day long and took their problems and sought the Lord and gave an answer. So it was a long process, it was a difficult process, but what I love about Moses here is you see that he had a servant heart. He loved the people, and he was willing to set aside his own rights, his own interests, and do whatever he could to serve them. So he sat all day and listened to their problems, which was exhausting, and did what he could to answer their questions. He had a wonderful servant heart. He loved the people, wanted to care for them in the best way, wanted to love them well. So he did his best to do that. The other thing I love about Moses here and his leadership is you see that he, they were coming to inquire of God and he saw his purpose as to give them the answers from God. You see, he didn't see himself as the boss. He saw God as the leader of the people. And he's doing his very best to make sure God is the leader. So he's inquiring of God, bring, bringing the answers to the people and doing his best to make sure that God's the leader, not him. Wonderful perspective on leadership. So he's pouring out his life for them. He's doing his best. But notice what Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, says. Verse 17 and following. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. 
Lo tov in the Hebrew. Lo tov. Not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Jethro begins this way. What you are doing is not good. Lotov. (laughs) Now, he's using the strongest possible words here. That little phrase, lotov, not good, only occurs once before this in the Old Testament, and that's in the creation account. Every day God would create, and it said, and it was tov, it was good. It was tov, it was tov, it was good, it was good. Only one time in all creation did God say, lotov. Genesis 2.18, after Adam had been created, but not Eve, God said, it is Lotov, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he goes on and creates Eve because there's something that's wrong with us being alone. We are built for relationship. Well, that's exactly what Jethro points out here. He says, Moses, it's Lotov, it's not good. It's against creation for you to try to lead these people alone. It is not meant, leadership is not meant to be done alone. It's not meant to be done by one person leading by himself. This is against God's plan. This is not good, Moses. And you're only going to cause problems. The way he puts it is he says, the work is too heavy, you can't handle it. You will only wear yourselves out, you and these people. And the word literally means there, wear yourself out, literally means to wither. Like a beautiful flower, it looks good at first, but eventually it starts to wither and the petals begin to fall off and there's no life left. There's no energizing. And he's saying, when one man tries to do it all, you're trying to do everything for two million people, you're going to wear out, you're going to burn out, and the people are going to be frustrated because they're not going to get the answers they want. A lot of people are going to go home without the answers they want. And that is low tove. (laughs) That is not good. You see, Moses has a great heart. Man, I want to love these people and I'm willing to set aside my rights and pour out my life for them. His heart is good. His strategy is bad. You see, he's doing a, going about it the wrong way. And leadership is like that. Too often, we have great hearts, but we have a bad strategy. And we end up ultimately causing frustration and withering and drying up instead of life. The load is too heavy for Moses. So Jethro says, let me give you some advice. First, hey, you know what? Keep inquiring of God. That's good. You're doing something good, Moses. You're seeking God and you're seeking to let him lead. So keep seeking God. Keep 
going to him. Keep getting God's leadership because he needs to lead the people. That's good. That part's good, Moses. (laughs) But I also want you to do this. Verse 20, he says, Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. Jethro says something very profound here. He says, you know what? If you meet with each person individually and try to tell them what God wants, you're just going to continue to be frustrated. So let me tell you what to do. Teach God's truth to the people in a broad way. Teach them the principles of God so that they can take those principles and apply them to their own situation. You see what a brilliant strategy that is for leadership? That way you don't have to solve every individual person's problem. Rather, you teach and it changes people's minds. They begin to take on the mind of Christ, the mind of God. They begin to see things from his perspective and they can apply that wisdom that's built into them to their situation. That's good leadership. Leadership is teaching the truth in a broad way so people can apply it to their own lives. And teach it to the other leaders so that they can be trained up and teach the truth to others. So focus on teaching God's Word. You'll impact people far more than trying to fix every individual problem, Moses. And I like the way he puts it. He says, teach them and show them. Teach them, but also show them. Be an example. Say, here's how you live it out, folks. Here's, Here's the truth. Understand it, but here's how you live it out. Teach and show. Teach and show. And that's what a good leader does. Then he says this, choose godly men to work with you, to share the load with. Verse 21, select capable, mighty, literally, mighty men from all the people. And he says there's three characteristics I want you to look for in these men. And notice they all have to do with character. It doesn't have to do with how skilled they are, how well they handle finances, or whether they're a boss at their job, or whatever. It has to do with their character. He says, look for people of character. Three aspects of their character. First, that they fear God. Jethro says, find people that fear God. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean to be afraid of God? No. In the Scripture, to fear God means you respect Him above everything else. He's at the center of your life. He's at the center of the wheel of your life. That when you make decisions... You ask, what does God think? You see, the contrast would be to fear men or fear money or fear something else. But if you fear other people, then you're going to say, well, when I make this decision or when I give this advice, I wonder what so-and-so is going to think and I wonder what they think and I wonder, and you fear people and what their response is going to be and you make a decision based on that. That's fearing men. Fearing God is to say, God, what do you say And I will commit to that no matter what. And that's the advice I will give. That's how I will lead. Saying, Lord, what do you say? What do you want? Second characteristic, he says, is they need to be men of truth or trustworthy, faithful men. I think this is men that say, again, you know what? I wonder what the truth is here. I wonder what the right way to go is. And I will commit to that, even if it's unpopular. Now, that's hard for leaders. It's hard for all of us. We tend to give in to what's popular because we don't want to disappoint other people. 
But he says, look for people that are committed to the truth. I've made this mistake before. Think of one couple in particular where uh, I've always been committed that what we do is marriages, not weddings. So we take people through premarital counseling and we do our best to train them. And I was, before I came to Cole, I had an opportunity to do a wedding and I was taking them through the premarital counseling and all these mitigating circumstances came up. And they said, you know, I, can you do the wedding earlier? And I, yeah, we'll finish the counseling later. And would you just, can we just do it now because of family and all these things that happened? And so will you do it now instead? And you know what? I didn't want to disappoint them. So I did the wedding. They got busy, never finished the counseling. Within a couple of years, they were divorced. I learned a lesson there. That if I'm going to be a leader, I need to be a leader who's committed to truth, even if it's disappointing to other people. Thirdly, he says, look for men that literally hate dishonest gain. Hate dishonest gain. They hate bribes. They can't be manipulated. That's a strong word to say they hate it, but what he's getting at is these people need to be men, leaders, who despise anything that's going to undermine the truth. So they can't be manipulated. They're they're not going to go with the people that are most popular. They're not going to cater to those who are the big givers in their ministry. (laughs) They're going to be committed to say, you know what, I'm not doing this for anything other than the Lord, and therefore I hate anything that is apart from, from God's truth. I hate dishonesty. I'm not going to take bribes. I'm not going to show partiality. I'm going to do what's right. So Jethro says, look for those kind of people. And think about it. Isn't that who you'd want to lead, ultimately? Though that'll be frustrating if you want your way and you try to pressure your leaders to get what you want. This kind of leader, you can't control. But you can trust. Because you know they're committed to God's truth. And they will not compromise that. These are men you can trust. These are leaders you can trust. People of character. People of truth. And then Jethro says this, If you'll do this, Moses, verse 23, If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain. You won't get burned out, Moses. And all these people will go home satisfied. The word there literally is shalom. They'll go home in peace, completeness, well-being, satisfied. Remember, he's saying, hey, you guys are headed to burnout. You're going to wither. You're going to be frustrated. Uh, This is not good, Moses. But if you follow my advice, the result will be that people will be a lot happier in the long run if you choose these kind of leaders and do it God's way. Now, I just want to make a comment and point out, notice the way Jethro rebukes Moses. He does rebuke him. He's pretty strong, but notice how he does it. First, he comes to him and he says, tell me what you're doing. Let me understand it better. So he asks questions. He listens to Moses. And guys, this is a great guideline here for when you have to confront or counsel a friend who's maybe going the wrong direction, follow, follow the pattern of Jethro here. First, he comes and asks questions to really understand. Then he says, you know, there's something not good about what you're doing here. Now, you're doing some things well, he says. You're inquiring of God. That's great. 
But there's some other things you're not doing so well. And let me explain what those are. Let me give you some guidance as to how you could do it better. And let me suggest to you that if you, if you take my advice, that it will go better for you and for the people. But I love the way he does it. He states it in verse 23. If you do this and God so commands, this will be the result. Notice he leaves it in Moses' hand. He doesn't say, you better do this or you're in big trouble, buddy. <laughs> he says, hey, I'm laying this out to you, but you check with God. You check with God and see if what I'm suggesting is really what he's telling you. And if so, then do it. Isn't that a wonderful attitude when you confront somebody, when you're sharing advice, when you're trying to help someone through a problem? To have this attitude of, hey, I trust God to lead you, so look to him. So then, how would Moses respond to this? I mean, for one, this is his father-in-law. How many of us want to listen to our father-in-laws, right? (laughs) But not only that, Jethro is a pagan priest from Midian who just the day before finally confessed Yahweh is the true God. You see that? Remember this verse 13 started, the next day Moses took his seat and David Roper last week talked about how Jethro finally discovered who the true God was. He heard the story of what God had done and he committed himself to Yahweh, the true God. So this guy doesn't know a lot. Moses is a guy who's Man, God's been speaking to him since the burning bush. Moses has the staff of God. He parted the Red Sea. He brought water out of a rock. He did all kinds of amazing miracles. Why should he listen to Jethro? But notice his response. Verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel, made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Moses, it says, listened to Jethro and did what he said. Isn't that wonderful? Now that's got to be one of the greatest qualities of a leader you can trust, right? Someone who's teachable. Someone who will listen and yes, check out what they hear with God and say, God, is this really from you? But they're willing to hear from others. They, they want to learn. They're more committed to learning the truth and growing than they are being right. And so often leaders just want to be right. Because their ego is on the line. But Moses' ego is not on the line. And I think that's why over in Numbers chapter 12, this is God's testimony of, of Moses. It's verse 12, 3 of Numbers. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I know that couldn't be said about me. <laughs> But one reason he was so humble and how that was expressed was in his teachableness. That he was willing to hear from anyone because he wanted to know the truth. He wanted to grow. A great humility says, I don't have all the answers. I don't do everything right. I want to hear from you. I'm willing to be taught by anyone. One of my great heroes 
for many years has been John Stott, who's a great theologian, a man of God, who's committed to the poor and done amazing things in the evangelical world. You, probably a number of you have read his books. And I remember meeting him, and I was just impressed that I was meeting John Stott, one of my heroes of the faith. And what struck me about him was that he was so interested in me and he wanted to learn everything he could from me. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And I was overwhelmed by that sense and I'd heard that about him before, but it was so true. He's a humble man that can learn from anyone. Well, that's a great picture of godly leadership. So Moses learned a valuable lesson in leadership. He had a great heart, but he needed to learn to share with others, to build others up, to raise up other leaders and set them free to lead. He was a humble man, and when he heard the advice, he put it into practice. So what are some leadership principles that you and I can take into our lives wherever we're leaders, whether it's in our homes, in our secular businesses, in a ministry, with friends at school, with a group, wherever we happen to be leaders, what are some principles? Let me give you nine I I see in this passage. First, a godly leader, like Moses, serves the people. He's a servant leader. He says, this isn't about me. This is about the Lord, and it's about you. And so when you're with this kind of servant leader, you sense they're there for your sake, not for their own, not for what they get out of it. So a godly leader is a servant leader. Second principle, like Moses again, a godly leader is one who looks to God as the true leader. A godly leader looks to God as the true leader. Doesn't see he's in charge himself. He doesn't try to take responsibility for everything that happens. He doesn't try to force people into what he thinks they should be. But a godly leader says, you know what, God's in charge and I will communicate what God says. I'll do my best, but you know what, God, you're at work in these people. They have the Holy Spirit in them. I'm going to trust you to work. I don't have to take it on myself. And Lord, I want you to lead the people, not me. So help me stay out of the way. So a godly leader looks to God as the true leader. Third, a godly leader focuses on teaching God's truth. Again, as we saw Jethro's encouragement to Moses, teach, show, disciple. So a godly leader is going to do that. He's going to teach the word. He's going to focus on that. We at Cole here are committed in our ministries as much as possible to teach the word. And we're committed on Sunday mornings to exposit the word, expository preaching. That just means starting at the beginning of the book and working through it. We want to teach the whole counsel of God. We want to set out the word so that People's minds are changed and they begin to gain the wisdom of God over time. A godly leader does that. He seeks to focus on teaching God's truth, knowing that's the best way to influence people for good. Fourth, a godly leader pleases God, not men. Pleases God, not men. That's a struggle because, you know what? When you're a leader, I don't care where you're leading People you're leading have opinions. Surprising, isn't it? (laughs) And they have opinions about how you should lead. And many people feel free to express them. Now again, it's good to listen to those and ask, is this really from you, God? 
But ultimately, a godly leader is going to please God, not man. He's going to say, you know what? Thank you for the input, and let me seek God and say and see what he says, but I will do what he says first. And ultimately, that's what you want. You want a leader that you, not that you can control, but a leader you can trust to do what God wants. Fifth principle. A godly leader makes decisions based on truth, not efficiency or popularity. Not what's going to compromise, but that seems like the best way to do it, or not, not because that's, I took a survey and that's what most people would want or whatever, but a godly leader says, you know what, I'm going to listen to the Lord and his truth and that is how I will make decisions. This fits in with the last principle. But he's going to ask, what's the truth here? What does God say? And I will do that. This isn't a democracy. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to seek to make decisions by truth. I will listen, take input, but I'll make decisions based on truth. Six. A godly leader can't be manipulated. A godly leader doesn't take bribes, doesn't show favoritism to friends or those with the most money, hates cheating, hates, hates somehow compromising in a way that is unjust or wrong, despises, hates is the word in the passage, dishonest gain. You may have had a boss sometime who would twist things a little bit and you never felt comfortable with what they did and it was easy though perhaps for the sake of the job to follow along. But you know that doesn't work. And that's not the kind of leader you want to be or that you want to have. A godly leader doesn't manipulate, hates cheating. Number seven, a godly leader, and Moses had to learn this, a godly leader shares the load. A godly leader says, you know what? I've got some good gifts. But there's a lot of people around me who have really good gifts too. And I don't have all the gifts. And there's other people that do. So let's create a team environment. And let's lead together. Let's do what we can to lead together. So we draw from each other's gifts. And I appreciate so much the elders here as we've gone to a multiple leadership in recent years for that very reason. Because there's a commitment on the elders to say, you know what, one man doesn't have all the answers and if we put too much pressure on him and too much responsibility on him, he's going to crack. So what we're committed to is multiple leadership, realizing we're all different, we all have different perspectives, but as we seek the Lord together, we're more likely to come up with what God is asking us to do than one person on their own. And that's why we've gone to a multiple leadership model without a senior pastor because we want God to lead us and this seems for us at this point, I'm not saying other models are wrong. All I'm saying is for us at this point, that's how God led us to where we are here at Cole. And so the elders seek the Lord and just recently, I want to just give you a couple of changes that have happened in ministries recently, decisions the elders have made. One is we we haven't had one of the pastoral staff overseeing men's ministry for a while since Dennis left. Well, the elders have decided just recently that they've asked me to, along with my preaching ministry, Sunday morning ministry, to oversee and shepherd the men's ministry. Well, it's a great ministry. There's a men's council, a leadership team, and it's well led by Ralph Turner and others, John Dodson, that are involved there. So I get to step in and just encourage those leaders and build them up and share the load together. 
Also, since Dennis left, we haven't had someone, a pastor, shepherding the growth groups, except Steve Harold did it on an interim basis, but now Rod Ritchie has been appointed to oversee growth groups. So he is going to work with those tremendous leaders, encourage their leadership and their pastoral oversight of the growth group ministry, but he will help shepherd and encourage those leaders. Um, And we're seeking a, a pastor for pastoral care as well. A godly leader... Also, I'm on number eight, and this is um, tied into the others, this last one. A godly leader equips others to minister, disciples others to minister, sets others free to minister. A godly leader is going to say, you know what, my job is to work myself out of a job. My job is to encourage others to lead. My job is to equip them and set them free. Again, the tendency is going to be, I could do this job better myself. And then we take it on and we do it all ourselves. But a godly leader says, you know what? Maybe I could do it better myself now, but what I want to do is train up others so they can do it far better than I could in the long run. So a godly leader equips others to minister, sets them free. And number nine, as we saw with Moses, a godly leader willingly takes advice. A godly leader is teachable. A godly leader says, I'm committed to the truth. I'm going to seek God but I'm also willing to hear from you and really wrestle with what you say to me. I'm willing to be taught. I know I'm not always right and I'm willing to grow. I have weakness. I have failure in my own life and I need to grow. And I I just commend you this book, quoted from it earlier, Leading with a Limp by Dan Allender. It's the best book. And I've read a number of books on leadership. It's the best one I've seen on leadership from a biblical perspective. Leading out of weakness, using our struggles to make us better leaders. That's what it's all about. So how does this look at at Cole? How do we live out these principles at Cole Community Church? Well, I've talked about some of the ways. One of the ways, of course, is the multiple leadership of the elders. We seek to seek God's mind, to share the load, to work together as a team, to develop team leadership. And maybe a primary way that we seek to live out these principles is that in all our ministries, as much as possible, we seek to build leadership teams. So it isn't a pastor who does the ministry. The pastor's there to equip the saints for the ministry. The pastor's there to build leadership teams. So we're encouraging Val and Donna to raise up leaders, not just run the children's ministry, but to raise up leaders to work with them to equip them for ministry. Corey Fries, who was just hired as our youth pastor, I loved what he said at the reception last week after the service as we welcomed him on board. He said, you know, some of you have been wondering and some people have asked me, how are you going to do both ministries, junior high and senior high? And his answer was, I'm not. You are. He said, I can't minister to all the junior high and senior high kids. But my job is to raise up leadership teams because you can love the individual kids far better than one man. So that's his job, and he sees it as his job, to raise up leadership teams in junior high and high school and equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. Ron Selle's doing the same thing, training up leaders within the young adult ministry. He's taking a team to Urbana. They're selling coffee out there. I hope you get some after the service. And... 
and uh, support that ministry because he wants to take them to train them up as leaders, future leaders in the world, either here or overseas somewhere. So Urbana Missions Conference is a wonderful place where they can be equipped. So he's taking them there. The Women's Council, the Women's Ministry, has a council. They're on a retreat right now. The leaders are being trained by Laura and Nancy even now up in the mountains. Why? Because they're committed to training up leaders, developing leadership teams. I mentioned the men's ministry. Um, The missions, Brian, is always seeking to train up leaders to send overseas in the missions. At Coal Valley Christian School, Mark Wood, who is the pastor over that ministry, he seeks to pour his life into his leaders. He has some wonderful leaders in that school who, who equip and train the teachers who equip and disciple and train the children. See, these are just some examples, and I could go on. We have plenty of other ministries at Cole, but I'm just trying to give you a picture that we seek to build people up here at Cole to live out these leadership principles, to not be the bosses who run everything, but rather to train you up, to share the load, to develop team ministry so that God can be the ultimate leader here at this church and in our individual ministries. That's our goal. That's our plan. So my question for you as we end is, how is God calling you, wherever you are, wherever you've been placed as a leader, how is God calling you to grow as a leader? In any of these principles we've talked about, do you need to share the load more? Do you need to be more vulnerable and teachable? Do you need to be more of a servant? And on and on. I encourage you to pray about it and question, how is God calling you to grow as a leader? And I encourage you to pray for your leaders that are over you, wherever they are, at work, in a ministry, in your family, here at the church. Pray for your leaders that they would be led by God to become more a reflection of these godly leaders. And if you really want to think about it, who's the greatest example for us of a godly leader? Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave up his life as a servant leader for us. Jesus died, gave up everything, emptied himself to become a servant, even to humble himself to die on a cross so that we could be set free to become leaders, priests, kings in his kingdom. That's the love of Jesus Christ. And he's the perfect leader. And now we want to take time to celebrate that, what he did for us on the cross by taking communion together to celebrate his death for us, which set us free from sin and has allowed us to have his spirit to listen to, to respond to, to follow as our leader. So let's pray together and then we will take communion together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus as the one who truly is the perfect example of a leader who, during its time on earth, sought to equip the disciples to set them free to become leaders. And then he gave up his life for us. Lord, help us see more clearly the leadership of Jesus so that we can follow him to be the kind of leader that he was. Thank you, Lord, that Lord Jesus, that you gave up your life for us. And as we celebrate it now, Lord, we give you thanks that you took away our sin and that you've given us new life. 
so we can walk in you. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.